Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Hi, everybody. I hope my caregiver nation is happy, happy, happy. It's springtime. Yahoo! We're to March now, and boy, I'm looking forward to uh, rain. And unfortunately, you know, in Colorado, we get a lot of snow. And sometimes um, that is hard to deal with. And it's hard. Um, it's hard for our people that have Alzheimer's. The change of the seasons, the snow, the cold. We can't go outside. You know, that's the time of year when, man, I've got some cookies baking, or you know, I'm making some homemade lasagna, or I'm I'm learning new music. I'm reading a good book in front of a fireplace. But not everybody sees it that way, right? Sometimes people say, gosh, does anybody even know I'm still here? Am I still valued? Do I? Can I still enjoy things like that? And today I want to talk about Emotional communication. You know, how people feel when we're conversing with them. Are they understanding that we love them and we care about them? Are, is our face saying something totally different? What, what is happening? You know, how are we, how are we working with that person? You know, they can tell when outside stimulus, your smile on your face, tells them something different than what you're trying to say. They know when they're making verbal errors and they're frustrated and they can't figure it out, and your face says everything they need to know about the mistakes they've made. Their ability to process and store information declines, and so when they can't find it, you may see their face, their emotions, uh, almost as though... You're looking at a computer screen, you know, that has the thinking, 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 the little thing that's spinning around or the hourglass that's going up and down and so on and so forth. And this is where we have a disconnect between thoughts that are spoken, invented words, sounds that they're replacing with instead of the speech, it's t- this takes a crazy hard emotional toll on people, both the person that is the patient and the care partner. And it is enormous. 
And when we're having those emotional struggles, lots of things are changing. Reading and writing abilities. Um, Following a storyline becomes impossible on a show. They have diminishing attention. Their memory is betraying them. Their comprehension is declining. And their ability to think logically isn't there. But that doesn't mean that yours is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we don't make our needs known. And if we don't do that, if we don't communicate verbally, if, if our emotions are guiding the ship, people with various dimensions will become silent. They quit talking. They don't want to make verbal errors. They don't want to be frustrated. They don't want to frustrate you. The next thing you know, you're seeing and you're feeling agitation that they are radiating off their body. And sometimes we don't take time to figure out what that message is they're trying to send us. Or if we're looking in their eyes and we're seeing negativity or or at at worst hopelessness in their eyes. You have to try to understand that person's emotions. You have to try to figure out what they're thinking through their physical manifestations. Because they might hear something different than you're saying. They might feel something different than you were emoting. And suddenly communication breaks down. Sentences break down. Patterns break down. Eye contact breaks down. And you start using simple short statements that can alleviate stress. And all of that is to try to stop the failing communication. You've got to give that person time to think. You've got to give them time to process or they're going to fail completely. They're not going to know what you said and you're going to get nonverbal communication back. And they they may not be able to understand spoken language at some point. So trying to really assess that person's mood, their demeanor, their their joy level, their hopelessness level, all those kind of things. You, you know, you, you just might think they're not interested, they're having apathy, they're bored. Um, but that's not really what it's about. And people quit talking. They become quiet and introverted and, and retreat back into themselves and, and such because a lot of times they feel like, and it's one of the biggest complaints I hear, is that they're not being included in conversations anymore, so what's the point? People are ignoring them in conversations, intentionally or unintentionally. I try, somebody told me the other day, 
that one of the things they thought I did best when I came into their home was I spoke to everyone. And it was pointed out that even when the person with the diagnosis was calling me every name in the book, I just let it fly off of me like I was a superhero or something. I didn't I didn't succumb to any of it. And it was because even though that person was verbally abusive to me, some of the things that she was saying didn't even make sense. So why would I why would I react to that? I I still talked to her and carried on a conversation with that particular person because she's not invisible. She's right there. Even if she's ticked off at me and wanting me to leave, um, I'm just kind of reading her body language is just saying, hey, I'm frustrated that you're here. I don't want somebody here to care for me. I don't want somebody to take care of me. I don't like you right now. And I'm trying to make this personal, even though it's not really personal. And she knew she needed the help, but she didn't want it. So I was looking more at what she was telling me on an emotional level than anything else. The words coming out of her mouth didn't mean a thing to me. I was trying to empathize with her and understand why she was spewing all this venom at me when uh, I was there trying to help her. And a lot of times when people are verbal, they get really angry when they think people are not paying attention to them. You know, they'll be like, hey, am I invisible? This is my disease you're talking about. I'm still here. I'm in the room. Talk to me. Me. Doctors are sometimes the worst at that. They try to get to the bottom of what the diagnosis is. And they don't even realize sometimes the impact they have on someone. Uh, Again, I had a client tell me that when they went in for a neurobehavioral exam because they were showing symptoms and their caregiver was worried about them, when as they were walking in one of the hospital employees said this is today's going to be the worst day of your life and i said what did you say back and they said nothing i didn't know what to say so it made me wonder did that technician that person that was going to do the neurobehavioral exam um did they look at that person and see what impact that had on that person? What emotional toll did that take on that person that seven months later they were telling me that this guy said this to him? That ticks me off. I asked him to get the name of the person that did that because I want to have a word with them. I want to talk to their supervisor. I want to talk to the doctor that sends them to to, to them to have this work done. Because that is cold. That is not compassionate. That is hitting somebody in the chest with a blow that knocks them down just by those words. This is going to be 
the worst day of your life. Seven words that had the ability to decimate the person that was listening. We have to think about these kind of things. We have to think about how our words, how our eyes has a cause and effect thinking that profoundly affect the people we are dealing with. There's no way that guy could do a good job on that neurobehavioral exam who was already confused when somebody told him that he was going to fail it essentially with those words. Our face sends cues so strong that we can't even imagine it. Your eyes say everything. We're going to take a short break, listen to a word from my sponsor, and I'm going to explain that statement. We'll be right back. Carillon at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. Our community full of grandeur and elegance is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado. We offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate, caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. A beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef-prepared meals, transportation services, and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. Call 720-440-8200 or visit carillon at bellevuestation.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so we're back. The thing about our communication with somebody who is becoming nonverbal, with somebody that needs cueing skills, when people even are in early stage, mid-stage, it doesn't matter. What we say and the delivery from our physical demeanor can impact them heavily. So on the cueing side of it, I will tell you that a couple tricks to the trade that I've figured out is something that I call a last word connection. And you can use that to your advantage if somebody's struggling with language. You can smile at them and say, uh, would you like to wear this green shirt or this blue shirt? Nine times out of ten, the person will choose the last word you said. So they'll say the blue shirt because that's what they heard. They'll let you help them put it on if you are smiling at them, you are speaking slowly, and you're trying to assist them. That last word thing works really, really good. Um, If you say, uh, for lunch today, do you want a uh, tuna fish sandwich or a cheese toasty? The answer will be cheese. Because the... The thing about this technique is that it's habitual for somebody. They often will choose the last word that you said. 
and they they feel like they're making a choice, but they're just they're just grabbing onto the last thing that you said. That is also an emotional response. It is a motor skill response. It's not just a language response. And words are only one part of communication. People relate to each other many times by laughter, listening, smiling, patting a hand, hugging someone. You know, people speak different emotional languages. But we can communicate even with no words. And when we're not using words, the emotional communication takes place. So the people will, a lot of times, just focus on your eyes. They'll they'll try to figure out the meaning of what you're saying by the tone of your voice and the gestures that you use. Are you using your hands a lot? Are you raising your voice? Does your face say you're angry? And they can figure it out a lot like the way they can figure out what's going on on television if the sound's not on. And they can still kind of figure out the plot just by watching what people are doing. You know, it's kind of like if somebody asks you to come into a room and then, or you're sitting at dinner time or something, and then they want to take a phone call, you don't need them to say anything to you to figure out how they feel about you. You're not important at that moment in time. You're not the most important thing that's going on. They're telling you how they feel about you just by ignoring you. And when people use gestures, they use pictures, they use their tone of voice and the pitch of their voice and their facial expressions and their body movements, they are conveying messages to you and everyone around you. And sometimes body language seems to be, to me, more honest and reliable than when somebody's talking to you. They, the person with the diagnosis will compensate for their cognition and their memory and their sensory loss, and they will pay more attention to nonverbal communication. And and they get pretty darn good at it, right? So I'll give you an example. I had a client who was trying to get uh, her husband to sit down in a chair. And he was having none of it. He didn't want to sit down. And she was kind of losing it. And uh, that particular person had Parkinson's with memory loss. And um, she was afraid he was going to fall. And I'll never forget this. She had talked about having to, you know, take care of her grandkids in the afternoon. And she always had to help with, you know, um, doing homework. And she had to help with getting the meals prepared. And she had to do this or that and everything else. And now 
she was dealing with somebody that wasn't doing a simple thing she was asking to do. And I remember the lady just saying to him, just do it because I love you. And he stopped in the motion of sitting down and kind of had himself almost three quarters of the way up. And he said, no. And then he just kind of touched her face and he said, no. And, you know, I asked them at that moment, it was, this was a teaching moment. I said, do you understand what just happened here? You said, just do it because I love you. But there was no love in your voice at all. None. And he saw that. She was saying, do this because I love you. But her eyes were saying something totally different. And he actually said to her, your eyes don't say you love me. I thought that was powerful. I mean, that was really powerful. We see this all the time when you're trying to get somebody to eat dinner, when you're trying to get somebody in the car, when you're trying to get somebody to take a bath or a shower, and we're guiding them with haste. We're trying to push them to do something that we want them to do. And they're not having it. And we have to figure out a way to show with our entire body and with our face that we have time to sit and talk with them. We can make our way slowly. We're going to stop and get those warmed towels that smell good because there's 15 bounces thrown in with them. Right? Touch is an amazing, nurturing thing for somebody who feels out of control. It gives them a sense of security. Approaching them in a calm, gentle way from the front of them, not up above them, not yelling at them, is what really helps you foster trust between you and them. And so you set the stage for an enormous amount of discourse with a tone of voice that says something totally different than what you're saying. And when it says something different than what you're saying, it is reflecting disrespect. People have complicated love language. They have complicated language patterns anyway if they have some type of dementia. But if you're patient with them and you're giving them extra time to process information, you're trying to work slowly with them and compassionately with them, you're going to have a much better exchange of communication because it is so difficult for that person to interpret 
sometimes what you're saying, but they can damn sure see how you feel. You know, they know failure all the time. They know it. They know it all too well. They know when they're saying the wrong thing. They know when their body is betraying them. But they want you to understand they are still a functioning human being. They can still feel what you're putting out there. When words are mixed up and they're nonsensical, a smile, a kind touch, a simple I care, I'm, I'm just going to ask you yes or no questions so it's easier for you to talk to me. I'm going to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and let you relax. I'm going to see what you can, can um, read from my body is all going to be positive energy. Laughing, music, um, warm gestures, patting somebody, just taking their arm and helping them walk. All those things create an emotional response that can be joyful, that can be beautiful. They don't have to understand what you're saying. They have to be able to read your kindness. The power of nonverbal communication can be emotionally devastating or emotionally uplifting. And you have the power to understand the emotion behind that person's failing words. You can see the emotion is still intact in them, and you can harness harness it on some emotional level, and you can reach it. You can communicate well with them. The words aren't important if you can understand the feeling behind the attempt to communicate. And it should never be lost on you that you have control over that. Pause to care. Check your look in the mirror. Do you have a smile on your face? Do you have a warm, compassionate glow about you? Or are you just frustrated because you've been doing, helping a, four year, a fourth grader with their work and now you're transferring that disdain and that, you know, complicated energy on the person that you love that has the diagnosis? And then you sometimes take it to a doctor and say, I need a pill to fix this when all you have to do is understand the emotion behind it. As always, thank you for listening. I hope spring kicks off good wherever you are, and I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.